Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And what is up? Welcome in. It is GC Live Thursday episode of the show. Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark here. Counting down the days. We are two days away from kickoff. South Carolina season opener versus Georgia State. Got a great show lined up for you here today. This is when we really start to turn the page and dive into not just the South Carolina football season, but into an actual opponent. Georgia State, of course, coming into Williams-Price Stadium. 7.30 kickoff, SEC Network Plus, ESPN Plus. Not going to get on my soapbox today about how you can watch the game. I got one more rant in me probably for Friday, though, Chris. I I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling it, you had needed, one though. Up. I've it seen needed. things. Yep. Got people arguing with me about whether they have to buy ESPN Plus or not. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's another story. Game is right around the corner, man. Um, the, the, big, the big topic, I think, right now, um, and, and by the way, we're going to be joined by uh, Brady Weiler, who is with the Thursday night podcast. He's going to give us a Georgia State um, view of the game, tell us a little bit about the Panthers, maybe dive a little bit deeper, um, much deeper than we could ever go on this Georgia State team. But um, I, I think the question I've kind of settled on, Chris, before we get ready on here, what are realistic expectations for this game for South Carolina fans? Because, you know, we were talking on the 107.5 show earlier today, there is a wide variety all the way from, you know, this game's going to be super tight. I'm worried about Sean Elliott coming in here all the way to the other side, which is like a complete lack of respect for what um, Georgia State is even about. And, you know, putting them right up there with like the Eastern Illinois team from last year. So my, my question is what will make Gamecock fans happy other than a win? Um, where Where is that line at? You know, I, I think the line, it's going to vary for people because I think just like anything in life, as we know, Gamecock fans have opinions and a lot of times they vary. And that's why we see some of the banter and discussion on whether it's the Insiders Forum or sometimes even here on our YouTube channel in the in the comments section, Wes. I mean, there's there's varying opinions. So I, I would like to hear from the fans what they think. But you know, we were talking earlier today about this this line of you know South Carolina winning and winning by a couple touchdowns. You know, and then you get even even that though is hard to draw the line because well, what does it look like? Is it a <laughs> is it a you eke out you know a two touchdown win? Is it you kind of let off the gas two touchdown win? And I think it's so it really depends, you know, on a variety of factors. But I think here's what I where I think most people are going to fall. This is certainly where I fall in just trying to analyze the game. I think a somewhat comfortable win. So when when you define that, you're not going into the fourth quarter with eight minutes left going, who's going to win this game? I think so. However, you define that, 
a comfort level going into the fourth quarter that the game's at hand. And there are a lot of others, Wes, but I tend to gravitate more towards the offensive side of the ball. South Carolina fans want to see South Carolina establish the run, play well up front, and put some points on the board. Because, look, you've got – you look back at last season, so many struggles on the offensive side of the ball, and there's a variety of reasons why. And then you go forward to this season, you know it's got to get better, and you've got some new faces, namely Spencer Rattler at quarterback that fans want to see. Definitely. And I think, um, you know, there, there's a bit, I believe, of a – there's kind of an element here, Chris, where I think people do maybe lump all – not all non-FBS teams, but they kind of – they do sort of lump them together, I feel like, because you're not sitting there – week to week following these other teams and and you don't know necessarily much about them like I think with there's a little bit more probably familiarity with this Georgia State program from the South Carolina fan base because of Sean Elliott because for a while I mean this this would have been a very very interesting week if not for some coaching changes along the way I mean you were about to have stepbrother versus stepbrother in this game. Um, You're about to have, what, Travian Robertson on the Georgia State staff. Bryson Allen Williams was an off-the-field coach for Georgia State. Um, I think Corey Peoples is still on staff there at Georgia State. Um, You know, there's been a lot of carryover. There's, There's still 20 guys from the Palmetto State on this Georgia State roster, including, you know, you look at, uh, Jemias Williams, not including Jemias Williams, actually from Georgia, but obviously played at South Carolina. So then you have Jordan Strong, who is on the South Carolina roster, but played at Georgia State. So there, there's some interesting connections here that maybe lets fans be a little bit more familiar with this program than they probably would have been otherwise. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think those storylines mean people gravitate towards those. And I think the Sean Elliott thing has been like an aggravating factor for fans when they're thinking about the possibility of a, of, of a massive letdown in game one and Sean Elliott being on the other side. Now it's not like Sean Elliott is Dabo Swinney, you know, it's not like that painful, but he's a guy that's a Gamecock. Who's a Gamecock fan who was at one time, the interim head coach at South Carolina. And there were some, obviously some ups and downs with that. Um, so it just adds another layer there. The, the other connections that you mentioned, Strawn and Williams and, and Corey Peoples, who's a great guy and a coach that's rising in the ranks, you know, th- those all make it a lot more interesting. I think that's been talked about a lot, but I think the vast majority of it, Wes, the underlying thing, even if I think people don't admit this, is just Georgia State, right, and just game one and wanting to see improvement and not wanting a, a massive letdown. I think it would be exacerbated by – those other factors. Yeah. And so this Georgia state team, man, I, I think we we do have at this point, I believe a pretty decent handle on what type of program, like what type of team is coming in here, how they're built is what I'm trying to say. Um, I think it starts with the lines of scrimmage. Um, and, uh, you know, when we get Brady on we're going to ask him about this stuff. I got a lot of my background knowledge on this team from listening to their podcast. Uh, which if you want to go check it out, you can just go on any podcast platform. It's the Thursday night podcast, but it's Thursday spelled with an E in place of the U. And um, 
So, Chris, they're built kind of from the line of lines of scrimmage out, both sides of the ball. I think they bring back maybe four of five starting offensive linemen. They bring back a bunch of their defensive front. Um, the last few years, they have sort of built on their ability to be disruptive on the defensive side of the ball. And um, Brady will give you the exact details, but I'm pretty sure like the last few years, they have like broken a school record when it comes to like tackles or loss or sacks. And then they've like rebroken it the next year. So, you know, that's one thing when Beamer was talking earlier this week, Chris, it caught my attention. He talked about how fast, physical, you know, they play hard, all that stuff that coaches talk about. But this is a group that's, I think, going to be slanting. They're going to be coming at you from different angles on the defensive side of the ball. And um, as much as we talked about the offensive line last year and are they comfortable in this new scheme, um, you know, is it a is it a situation where they're more comfortable now in year two? I think we're going to find out quite a bit. I think it's going to be a very nice early test for South Carolina. But um, I see him coming in right there. We're going to bring in our guest. It is Brady Weiler. Brady, uh, we appreciate you taking the time today, man. He is with the Thursday Night Podcast. Uh, he's going to talk about Georgia State with us a little bit. Brady, uh, appreciate it, man. How you doing today? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I think we're all really excited for actual football to be played and be done with the offseason chatter and just get to actual gridiron action. I'm definitely in that camp. Definitely, man. And uh, yeah, the podcast you guys do is great. I was uh, I was actually looking for some some Georgia State content uh, to to get my background information on this game. Maybe last week, week before, was in the car for a while, and uh, I stumbled upon y'all. I listened. By the way, if anybody else wants to go check it out, go to Thursday Night Podcast. They've got a offensive preview, a defensive preview, like whole nine yards. If you want to like really know everything about this Georgia State team, they got you covered. So. Brady, I guess um, for fans who have not listened to your full roster breakdown, um, what is the first thing a Gamecock fan needs to know about this team coming into williams Price Stadium if they haven't paid attention to anything else so far? Well, I guess you've got some familiarity with Coach Elliott. Uh, obviously, he was there since 2010 to 2016 before becoming the head coach at Georgia State. And in his introductory press conference as head coach at Georgia State, the first thing he was emphasizing was, we're going to run the ball. And that's the thing he's wanted to instill since he got in Atlanta. And that's been the case. And they were a top 10 FBS rushing unit last year. They've been over 200 yards each of the last three years. And it's the identity that they've taken on is what he's wanted to bring in. And he basically rebuilt the offensive line and the defensive line to where you could really make the case of those are the two best units on this Georgia State team. And so you're going to see that play out to where that's – make no mistake about it. They're not going to disguise it. They're going to want to come into williams Bryce and run the football and assert themselves in that way. And that's just the makeup of this Georgia State team. Brady, thanks for taking the time to join us, man. Great, great job with the podcast and everything that you guys Appreciate do. It's been real helpful for us as we've been uh, preparing and kind of scouting on our own this team to to talk about this matchup. We, I know, we want to talk about some of the kind of new on this team and what they'll do, um, but I want to go back to last season. It's not always super relevant, uh, but this is a team that returns a lot of starters, right? And they have some some different coaches, new offensive coordinator, but Last year, it looks like Georgia State started off a little slow, right? And maybe some of that was competition level. They had some tough losses to North Carolina, App State. But then you look at the end of the year, they beat Troy, you know, worse than South Carolina did. Um, 
They beat Coastal in an upset. They seem like they're playing their best ball later in the year. What do you attribute that to? And can is there reason to believe that they can carry over the way they were playing last year to the beginning of this season? Yeah, so like you say, there was the competition factor. They played a good Army team. They played a good North Carolina team, or a decent North Carolina team who was really angry after losing to Virginia Tech the week before. And I think Georgia State bore the brunt of that in that game. But I think it was a UNC team that was wanting to show they were better than that. And sometimes that's the way the schedule shakes out. Um, but the other part of it, aside from just who they were playing, is that Darren Granger became the starting quarterback for full-time at the ULM game on October 9th. He started against Charlotte and he started against Auburn, played Auburn. They were still giving Quad Brown a chance and he ended up playing a lot of that App State loss they played. And um, full-time it was Darren from that ULM game. And he just kind of solidified everything. It's a guy, personality-wise, that the team gravitated towards. I think guys were happy he got the starting job because he'd worked hard for it. And on the football side of stuff, he trusted himself to run and the quarterback running is a big factor of what this offense wants to do. And there were times where maybe quad Brown was making the wrong read, pull, not pulling it when he should have. And Darren was a lot more comfortable with that side of uh, running the Georgia state offense. And he just wasn't a quarterback that was going to lose you games. And as just an example of that, from that ULM game, I talked about the team was plus 11 in the turnover margin. He had four picks overall on the year and only one of them was a real, like, he was forcing a throw. And it was the Auburn game when they were down three late. And they that was when you have to force a throw. Like, that's where you risk a pick because you have to get downfield and get either a field goal to win it or touchdown to – or a field goal to tie a touchdown to win it. And so the offense just kind of solidified, didn't hurt itself. And when you're doing that, when you run the ball as well as Georgia State does, it was just – better and then you got better defense performance as well and the other part of the turnover margin was the defense forced 17 turnovers from that ULM game on and so you had opportunistic defense combined with an offense that wasn't going to hurt itself and they just got past a lot of teams by just playing clean football Darren Granger one of 20 uh, kids from the state of South Carolina on this team a uh, Conway kid I, I think I saw him play in high school I know I saw Quay White play in high school from Greer um, a guy, South Carolina actually sort of recruited a little bit, almost offered, I, I think maybe late they were involved there. But um, I, I guess it's, let's stay with Granger a little bit there, Brady. What is the next step for him as a quarterback? And then how much um, how much designed run game do you anticipate from him, uh, you know, this season, certainly this week? Is that going to be something where it's more like, okay, he can use his legs when he needs to? Or uh, does Sean Elliott sort of implement that by design as well? So, yeah, run game from QB, and what is his next step as a quarterback as he goes now into his first full year, but second overall year kind of being the guy? Yeah, so I guess start with the run game factor. There's definitely going to be a couple of design QB draws here or there, but a lot of it is going to be option stuff where it's zone read or actual triple option concepts um, where he's going to have to make the choice, read the defensive lineman, who's his guy, make whether he needs to hand it off or take it. And so there's going to be a lot of that. He also is a guy who will make a play. There was one play in the Auburn game last year where he was completely dead to rights in the backfield. No business making a play should have been a big loss. And he just willed his way past a couple of the charging uh, defensive linemen from Auburn got past the first line mark, uh, the first down marker. And so really I'd say it's everything. And 
he is the type of guy that when the play breaks down, you can trust that he can maybe make something out of it, even when everything is going bad on his feet. Uh, the improvement that you want to see from him this year, uh, George State fans want to see from him, is a little more consistency in the passing game, a little bit more of a deep threat in the passing game because uh, Taleek Williams got a 66-yard touchdown late when the App State game was over. And that was the only catch over 40 yards any wide receiver had in 22-1 for Georgia State. So there's a desire that because you know the offense is going to have so much consistency week in, week out with getting the yards they want on the ground, if there's a deep threat and there's a big play explosiveness from the passing game, that's going to unlock, unlock so much for the offense. And it's going to get another level. And that's both with him and just everyone involved with the offense uh, with the passing game looking for more there. But on Saturday, I think what you'll see from new offensive coordinator Trent McKnight is maybe trying to get Darren comfortable early, get him some easy passes, some ones where he doesn't have to make a decision where it's just, you know, whether it's out in the flat or whether it's just a quick read where he doesn't have to think too much, get him comfortable. And then maybe you see them unlock a little bit more from there. But yeah, I think, you know, what the rushing offense is going to be for you. And it's just about the passing game being more of a threat because there is the danger if you're too one-dimensional, the teams are going to start stacking the box against you. And then the run game becomes less effective. You become less effective. And that's where things start going downhill. Brady, sticking with the offensive side of the ball, and Wes just put up a picture of Jemias Williams, former Gamecock, who, of course, is one of, I guess, three running backs. Tucker Gregg's one. The other name escapes me. I'm sure you can back me up there. But tell us a little bit about, you know, how they split those guys. My recollection is on the depth chart, I think three oars, right, um, you know, between their three running backs. Tell us a little bit about the different strengths of those guys, how they may split the carries, and also, if you can – you know, loop in a little bit of any differences that we may see offensively since there is, you know, some newness there on the coaching staff. Yeah. So it really is a running back by committee situation where led mostly by Tucker, Greg and jam, like you're talking about uh, Marcus Carroll is the third guy who he's been a little bit behind the depth chart, but he had a really good spring and fall and the coaches are really excited about where he's gotten to. And so I feel like reading into that, we'll see 23 out there as well, getting some carries, but they try and keep everyone pretty – they have the ability because they have multiple guys that it's not going to be anyone is the number one running back getting like 30 carries a game. They like to keep everyone fresh. Uh, there were a couple games last year where Jam being as quick as he is, they held them back into to where like in this fourth quarter, specifically the Charlotte game, there was a long like 10-minute drive where Jam hadn't played that much and he came in fresh against a pretty gassed Charlotte defense. And it looked like he was running a different speed than everyone else because he had his legs under him and the offensive line had wore down the front of Charlotte. And so there is an ability there because you know Tucker is kind of the traditional smash mouth, tough yards, short yardage situation back, although he had two 50-yard runs against Auburn. So it's not just you know a one-trick pony there, but Jam's got the speed. And I think the thing that, he has gotten better at as he's gotten more reps at running back is he's gotten some, not just shiftiness, but toughness. He'll shed some tackles uh, and he's become a really complete back in a, a way that maybe when we saw him join the running back room, it was like, all right, we know he came from South Carolina. He's got speed. He's an athlete, but he's definitely developed a lot of his running back to where I really don't know who's going to be the leading rusher this year. It's going to come down to who pops some more long runs because I think jams got as much of a shot as Tucker Gregg has got. And then, you know, Trek McKnight, like you mentioned, new OC. I think there's a hope because he was the wide receivers coach. And if the staff change that 
was the original one with Josh Depp being OC. It stuck. He was going to be passing game coordinator. In addition to that, when Coach Depp left for Louisville, they just uh, Coach Elliott made Trent McKnight the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach. I think there's a hope that he can bring in some more ideas to the wide receiver, you know, to the passing game because that is where the ceiling could be raised with his offense. But like I said at the start, like it's still Coach Elliott's team. It's still his mold and he's going to want it to be a run first. It's still going to be, you know, whatever, 60, 40 run, 65, 35 run. I think the hope is just that as he comes in as a new voice, maybe some new ideas, new ways of getting those big explosive plays in the passing game. That's what you're hoping for. And I, we'll all find out together uh, on Saturday. If, see if there's some of those new concepts that have been installed for this year's team. Brady, uh, real quick before we go over to the defensive side, uh, another local guy here for us, uh, Casey Adams. Uh, I know, obviously, from what we just talked about, there is depth in the running back room. Is there room for him to make an impact this year as well, you think, or maybe on special teams? Like, are those opportunities there? Is he a guy? Have you heard anything about maybe him being too good to, to keep off the field? I actually, interestingly enough, I watched him play in the state championship game while Sean Elliott was on the sideline for the entire game watching him as well. And um, I got to think watching him play some in high school, this kid eventually, even as a freshman, is probably going to find a way to impact you guys. Uh, just incredible athlete, very quick, very shifty. Have you heard anything about his opportunities for this season? Yeah, so he enrolled early and went through spring practice after graduating uh, high school. And in the spring scrimmage at the end of spring practice, multiple people, Coach Elliott, a couple of the players who we talked to after the game, raved about him. Coach Elliott said he ran for something like 230 yards in their first scrimmage in the spring. And wow. players just making the – like they had seen his numbers, and his numbers are astounding. I think 33, 3,400 yards his senior year, 40 touchdowns on the ground just by himself. I mean, obviously a playmaker and it showed in a way that I think even college guys are like, all right, this guy's got these numbers, but he's coming into college. Like it's different. And he impressed them right off the jump. And so I think he's a little bit blocked. I think they trust the guys that are running back. So week one, I don't know how much we'll see him at running back. If, if that's the case, they've been holding him back and it's been a little, you know, Trump card they've been holding in their pocket but maybe on special teams as the season goes on and definitely down the road. I think even from next year, if he isn't that much a factor this year, he's going to be a guy that it's like, how did all these other schools let him slip? Because I, he played small school in South Carolina. I think the numbers are a little bit of a factor of that, but I think, and he's a little undersized, but I think it's one of those diamonds in the rough that I think the coaching staff's really happy. They have, whether it's as a true freshman in game one this Saturday, I don't know, but, Definitely a guy that there's some excitement about in the program. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we got the uh, the KZ Adams stuff here. Um, well, I'm a little late getting the video up, but there it is if anybody wants to watch it. Chris, you're muted, by the way, bud. I pressed the button. I apologize. <laughs> um, so while we watch some KZ Adams film, to, to – Switch directions and go to defense, right? So Georgia State has – Wes was saying before you came on, Brady, it seems like they set a bunch of school records and then the year after they broke their own school records, maybe a few times over. Tackles for loss, sacks, you'll have a better handle on that than us. But tell us about why they've been successful in that vein on defense and then what kind of – what style can South Carolina fans 
expect? Is this more of an attacking defense? Is there some exotic stuff that's, that's going to get thrown at them? What, what are they going to see in the stands on Saturday night? Yeah, so first off, sack record was broken the last two seasons in 2020 and 2021. Tackles for loss record was broken last year, and they tied the previous one in 2020. So definitely they've taken a step up, and it starts with the guys they've added in the front. Uh, Thomas Gore, Javon Dennis. Uh, they lost Dante Wilson, who had been the nose tackle basically since Coach Elliott got here. He's able to stay on for next year because of the COVID eligibility. Um, but Thomas Gore was his backup last year, and they ended up having to move him to one of the defensive end spots because they just couldn't keep him off the field. He just kept making plays. Uh, this is a guy who's playing nose tackle and defensive end, and he was fifth on the team in tackles. Guy that just kept showing up, and he's going to be one of the focal points up front. But more than that, it's just there's a deep bench there. And yeah, I mean, I think attacking opportunistic is a good word. It, it's a team that is employing the old cliche, bend but don't break on defense, where they're looking to not give up the big plays and they trust their defense to keep teams out of the end zone if they do that. And just as an example of that, in that Auburn game last year, Auburn started one of their drives plus 30, like at the 28 maybe after a kick return and had to settle for a field goal. And all over that winning streak at the end of last season, there were times where they maybe get a, a play that was a big play, but it wasn't a touchdown play. It wasn't a total home run. It was just team got a chunk play and the defense would just lock it down once they got into plus territory. And so that's what they're going for. They're not big. And some of that's a factor of the G5 level, but it's also by design. You know, defensive coordinator Nate Fuquay wants to use speed as a plus for his front. He wants to have guys that may be a little undersized, maybe smaller, but they can use their speed to where they're shooting gaps in the linebacker core. Or they're just beating guys to spots uh, when they're doing run defense to the point where the run defense was one of the best in the sum this past year. And I think it's going to be, I know I was watching before I came on and you guys talking about it, hoping to see, you know, in the trenches. And I think you will get a good test on both sides because it's a different front than what you're going to see when you're playing your Georgias and your Clemson's, uh, your power conference defenses that are stout against the run, but it's been an effective unit because they're able to use their team speed and swarming to the ball to get short gains. And when they give up the big plays, they've been, a, when they're do, going well, they're not letting it be touchdown plays and they're bucking up at that point, stopping teams from getting in the end zone, forcing turnovers as well. Yeah, Brady, we've, we've kind of talked all off season here for South Carolina, their, their points of emphasis. I mean, Stopping the run was a big issue for them last year. And you go into a game where, where obviously you're talking about a, a Georgia State team that wants to run the football, as you said, and it's kind of, you know, proven they can. So I, I think we do learn quite a bit about South Carolina this week, uh, probably learn quite a bit about Georgia State as well, even though it's just one game. So let's let's dive into that very thing, the actual game itself. Um, I, I know the areas we're going to be paying attention to. Give us the Georgia State view. What are kind of – the keys to this game, you know, kind of how, how do you see this thing playing out from a game flow standpoint? What does Georgia State need to do to pull the upset? Well, I mean, the first thing is it's all good in saying they've been a good running team and they've done it the last two times they've gone to an SEC school, but they do have to still go line up Saturday and do it. And I think if they're able to run the ball on offense like they're trying to do, and if they're able to prevent the turnovers like they, as they've been going well the last year, have been able to do, they'll stay around. Like, I don't know that it'll be a game they're front running from or whether it's they're just a touchdown behind and hanging. But like, if they're able to do what they come in to do, it'll be a game late and that'll be, you know, it'll be the, the age old who makes the plays when it counts thing. 
I think the one place you'd look out for with your Georgia State is your Spencer Rattler's coming in. There's a lot of expectation and obviously a really quality recruit out of high school looking for a new start here in South Carolina. And he's definitely got the talent. And we're aware of just all the different weapons there are in the South Carolina pass catching realm. And so Georgia State been making sack records the last couple of years when you're blitzing a lot and when you're sending pressure, or just when you're trying to get to quarterback and you're not any secondary is going to struggle past, you know, five, six seconds of coverage. And so if South Carolina is able to prevent the pass rush, able to get anything going in the uh, run game to where uh, George state's taking a little bit out of that factor as well, that's where it'll get a little bit dicey. And so I think the biggest thing for Georgia state is just preventing any super home run plays with a passing game, which is going to be tough. Like that is going to be the marker for this game. And it might be where South Carolina has some success, but I think that's where, especially early, if South Carolina gets a lead early, Georgia State's playing from a couple possessions behind. It's just not something they're designed to do because of how they run the ball. It's just not where they want to be. It's not exactly like a triple option team, but it's kind of the similar vein where it just, where they're designed is when they're able to keep on their script and run the ball. And if they get behind, that's where it's going to get a little bit dicey. And South Carolina has definitely got the big play potential uh, in the pass catching. Uh, Those tight ends, I think, would be a particular area just because middle of the field, there's been some opportunities other teams have taken advantage of, and it's going to be a test for you know the linebackers, the safeties, uh, slot corners, if they get lined up on one of those tight ends. Uh, so that's where I would say if things are going to go wrong for Georgia State and early, that would be where, just giving up some big chunks in the passing game, letting Rattler settle in. Because then the other side of it is, you know, I was at the game last year in Auburn, Bo Nick started getting booed in like the second quarter of that game. And the crowd that was really near sellout, which was a plus for the SEC team, turns into a negative when everyone starts getting antsy. And I think Georgia State would love to live in that zone where the longer the game moves on and it's close, the crowd's as tight as it, and it leads in the team. And you've got a guy playing his first game for a new school. I think that's where it hinges. And if South Carolina takes care of the business in the pass game and gets some big plays, they'll probably be able to take control of that factor. But that's, I think, where Georgia State you know, it's going to go one way or the other. I think that might be where it goes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We we were actually joking about that earlier of, you know, South Carolina, let's say they get the ball first and they go three and out. There's going to be some, some antsy fans in Williams Rice stadium, as you said, Um, Brady, I got a couple more for you. Here's my first one. Looking back at, since some of the personnel is the same from last season, looking back at uh, Auburn, looking back at North Carolina last year, you know, the power five teams at Georgia state played, Something that Marcus Satterfield said, the offensive coordinator for South Carolina, was, yeah, from a size perspective, they'll be undersized relative to South Carolina, but they're very quick. You know, he said that the team had elite speed, I think he called it. How did they match up on the lines of scrimmage in those games, you know, from what you saw last season? Because there may be, you know, something to take away from that for this year, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a thing where – Tank Bigsby, great running back, and Georgia State, I think, held him under 100 yards 
uh, held him well under what he was getting against some other, you know, good SEC defenses. And that was the factor in the first half that Georgia State wasn't giving up the big play and passing game and were getting Bo Nix uncomfortable in the passing game and the running game. They were getting chunks here or there, but it wasn't ever huge runs and they're keeping him out of the end zone, holding him to field goals. And so, you know, North Carolina game, the passing game, there were some big touchdowns early and especially the running game just with Sam Howell. Sam Howell got free. I think he got a 66-yard rushing touchdown where he just completely broke contain, ran right into where, you know, other guys had their backs turned because they were covering receivers. And that was maybe the biggest takeaway from that game defensively. It's just like they let a guy who isn't really a running threat at quarterback just kill them and get 100 yards, you know, get a couple of rushing touchdowns. Like that's not how they were supposed to beat you. And so that was maybe the factor that you weren't counting on in that game that it it got a little away from you, but neither of those teams uh, really handled, did what they wanted to do running the ball. And I think that's the thing. It, you know, Georgia state, even though they're undersized, like they think that they can handle themselves on the ground. You know, I guess North Carolina, 201 yards, uh, 503 a carry, which is pretty decent. Um, but not like that wasn't what killed you. And like I said, about half of that at least was Sam Howe, which you just can't let happen. Auburn was 166 on the ground. They gave up 200 rushing yards four times. And one of those was Army, who ran it 67 times and for 258 yards, which the offense didn't really give them a chance in that game. And Army is going to just get 200 yards on your ground anytime you play them. Like, that is just what they do. And so the, the number there that matters to me is there was 3.85 yards per carry, which, you know, all things considered, when the offense didn't really give you a chance in that one, holding Army to that, not real efficiency running the ball, not giving up those big, big plays. I think they're going to go into this game expecting they can at least keep everything in check in the run game. And that's going to be where it's, you know, going to rely on making sure they're not giving up too big of plays in the pass game. But like they're undersized, but it's not all just because they're recruiting. Like they do have a style that they want to get on defense and it relies on having guys they know can just win to spots and use stunts in the pass rush to confuse and, get advantages that way. Brady, last one that I've got for you before we let you run, man. I know you got a lot to do. If I'm not mistaken, Georgia, Georgia State breaking in a new kicker, right? Um, yes, he was the punter last year. He'll be doing everything this year. Okay. South Carolina's in a similar situation. They had Parker White, who's super reliable. They haven't given a lot of detail here about – they've got two guys, and they just all they've said is, hey, somebody's going to go out there and kick. So it, if it's a tight game – Little storyline to watch there, even on kickoffs. But how how does the special teams situation look there? And they do have a new special teams coach at Georgia State. Yeah. Uh, so Noel Ruiz transferred from NCA and T. He he was on the team the last two years as the kicker, and I think Coach Elliott definitely appreciated the stability they had there because he came in and was Mister Reliable. Basically, anything within fifty, and he even had a leg beyond fifty. They really trusted him on. Now. I think they tried a couple of transfers this past offseason. No one ended up coming through, but I think they like Michael Hayes. Our concern, and we talked about this in our pod, is just when you have a guy doing kickoffs and punts and place kicking, like that is just a lot for one guy to have to do through the course of the season. And so that's maybe the one thing to watch. But I think it's, you know, he's a guy they trust where if they're going to have to kick a field goal, they're going to put him out there, be comfortable. And, you know, with that, that, with that said, there's definitely multiple times last couple of seasons as coach Elliott's really been able to trust his run game, that if it's fourth and something manageable in plus territory, I think it's more than a coin flip that they're going to go for it. And that's nothing to do with the kicker. That's just what coach Elliott, he trusts 
his guys. You're fourth and one. I think you're going to see them line up to go for it, and everyone's going to know Tucker Graves going to be getting the ball. And it's a thing where, even though everyone knows what the play is going to be, it's been a really successful point for Georgia State where they just trust their blocking. They trust Tucker to run that hard yard and get it. And so, it might be less of a factor in the sense that if there's any kind of leeway where he can talk himself into going for it, I think you might see that not just because of, you know, it's playing the SEC team, just that's part of his personality that he likes to be a little bit aggressive in plus territory like that, especially if it's a manual situation where he can hand it off. Brady, uh, great stuff, man. Again, we appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, if you can go ahead and uh, give the Gamecock fans uh, some direction, how, uh, how can they go check out the podcast? Maybe they want to listen rolling into the game on Columbia or rolling into Columbia on game day on Saturday. Uh, how can they find you? Yeah. So we're on Twitter at Thursday night with the E instead of the U Panthers Thursday. Every day is Thursday. Um, uh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. There that's, that, that's, I, I the, that's the connection. Yeah. That's the connection. It's Thursday. Um, and we're yellow. I think I heard you plug at the beginning. We're on any you know podcast source. Everyone goes to uh, the posts on a SoundCloud. If you want to go directly to the source um, I'm on Twitter, Brady M Weiler, and I'll be, they're covering the game on Saturday, given the Georgia State perspective on stuff. And just through the year, yeah, we're on giving another voice to the Georgia State sphere. I think when we started this, there wasn't really a podcast like what we were we would have listened to. And we just kind of felt, why not us? Let's just go do it. And it's kind of been a journey for us to get here where it's we're we're being the voice that we wanted to see in the Georgia State media sphere. And it's been a nice place to be at. Definitely, man. Y'all, like I said, y'all definitely do a great job, man. We appreciate the time today and uh, enjoy the game on Saturday, okay? Let, let us know you if too. you need some restaurant recommendations. We'll get you hooked up, okay? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Thanks, Brady. That is again, Brady Waller. Go check him out at uh, the Thursday podcast, Thursday night podcast, excuse me. I was one, I meant to ask him, Chris, um, what the Thursday, and it's for Panthers. So, yeah, and, we were talking about that yesterday. I'd actually figured it out before the show and was going to, you, you did get, figure it out. I did because I was like, all right, what is this Thurs? And then I was just like, oh, Panthers. I was like, that's got to be it. <laughs> I think they used to play a lot of Thursday night games too. So it was like a tie in there. Night, Panthers, he, Thursday he, night games. Makes total sense. Okay. What, was I, that obvious or no? No, 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 no. It wasn't at first. Okay. I mean, when you told me the name of the podcast, I think that was yesterday on Wednesday, I was like, what does that even mean? But then I saw it written out today. I think it was like first or second time. I was like, oh, Thursday. Your brain got it. Your brain got it. I had written out Panthers a few times today. So I yeah. think it was just top of mind. I I, it, I did feel dumb for a minute, though. And I figured it out. I was like, oh. And I, I, feel, like, I feel like I don't know as much about um, the Gamecocks even as, as Brady knows about Georgia State. I think he's got it all pretty under control over there. Well, I, hey, I, I wasn't just like blowing smoke when I I yeah. was coming back from where was I coming back from Augusta, and I was like, I got it, I've got to find, I've got to learn something about this team, and mm-hmm. that's what I stumbled upon. And uh, good stuff. They gave the full offense, defense, special teams. Will be very interesting. I, I tell you, we we always sort of play the what did we learn game. Um, maybe this is because it's top of mind, Chris. We he just talked about it at the end and. Good question from you. Third or fourth down from the 30. <laughs> are Shane Beamer and Sean Elliott both 
full steam ahead. Fourth down Saturday off. night. Maybe. I could see them just staring at each other from across the sideline. Hope, hopefully we get some good – I'm sure our photographers will. We need some good shots of the two of them oh, uh, pregame. That's kind of cool. They were, That was a great picture, by the way, that Steve Fink put in the uh, game notes with the two of them in the, on the Spurrier staff back in 2010 together. But part of me also wonders, Chris, like I imagine, especially in games where South Carolina should have the advantage up front, we saw Beamer um, – be willing to go for it on fourth down as well. From what Brady has said, that is Sean Elliott's MO as well. There's there's probably going to be quite a bit of, especially game one, let's just go for it. However, if I'm Beamer, there is a little part of me, especially if South Carolina has a lead in this game, there's a little part of me that wants that data. And by wants that data, I mean I want to get my kicker in there and start to get that experience and see what happens, right? Like you want to roll him out there in front of 80,000 people yeah, and see what he does. So I wonder, there's so many variables into a fourth down decision. Do you think that plays into it potentially as well? Well, I think Beamer does have one of the last welcome home episodes. He was pretty livid in practice because he called for the offense to go for it during the scrimmage. And they did not get it, and he was not very happy about that situation. So Shane Beamer is probably looking at this going, all right, if we get in a fourth down situation, it's fourth and one, fourth and two, you know, provided you're not on your your own two-yard line or something, right? He's probably going, all right, guys, we need to we need to be able to pick this up, you know? And so I think against this team, you probably have a more aggressive mindset. Now, you are balancing that, right? You're also balancing it, Wes. Yes, you want the data, but depending on the situation, the coaching staff might be sitting there going, okay, it's not Parker White. <laughs> this might not be automatic. We might want to roll the dice a little bit on fourth down here. So lots of interesting things there, maybe some interesting decisions to, to make. So what, uh, what did you learn most from Brady that you didn't already know? A lot. <laughs> he knew a lot. Um, no, I, I – it was kind of interesting me that it was just interesting to me that it was just reinforced that this team's identity wants to be run the football and the quarterback. I think he had what four interceptions all last season, Darren Granger. And that really was the turning point. I got to looking today just randomly at their schedule from last year and noticed that kind of, I don't know, like a line of demarcation between, okay, they're struggling early in the year. And a lot of that did have to do with competition. They played a couple of power five teams. They played, an army team that's always a difficult out, but they played a lot better at the end of the year, you know, um, beat coastal beat Troy by three touchdowns, a common opponent of South Carolina. What was the difference? And I think it really was, they had an identity that was a swarming defense, um, running the ball on offense with, with two or three guys and then Granger. So I don't know if that was new, but it was kind of reinforced. And so the question is how effective can that be against South Carolina? Who surely knows, this is what the team's going to line up and do. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, this show is, as always, brought to you by our buddy Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network, NMLS number 71597. Clint is the branch manager of the Mortgage Network right here in Columbia. 803-576-4450 is the number. Email address is C Hammond. That's the letter C, Hammond at mortgagenetwork.com. Appreciate Clint, as always. Clint is 
Clint's fired up for the game, man. He was texting me. He was texting me uh, earlier this week. Hey, man, how good is this uh, Desmond Yumea Zulu guy? Um, are we going to get any five stars? Hey, could this class be top ten? Like Clint, Clint he dialed in, Hancock, through and through, dialed in. Um, he'll be out there tailgating in rare form on Saturday. And um, man, I just lost my train of thought, Chris. But so, oh, I got it. So Pearson Fowler made this point. I'll give Pearson credit. When he said it, I was kind of like, eh, you know, maybe, maybe that's a factor. But Brady sort of, I would say, confirmed it as well. The fact that, yes, you know, like you said, they they are built a certain way. It's going to be very important if South Carolina could get off to a fast start because this is not – and that's one of those things, like I feel like whenever people say keys to victory and – what do we always say? Oh, run the football. You got to run the football, stop the run, <laughs> get off to a good start. I'm always like, well, no, you know, like, of course, nobody wants to get off to a bad start. But in this particular situation, there is some merit to that. If if they're grinding out this game, if they're getting, you know, if it's second and five, then it's third and two, and then – they're just staying on the field, and South Carolina's defense is getting frustrated, and it's putting pressure on South Carolina's offense to perform. Then, dude, it's going to be like 13 to 10 at halftime. The fans are going to be getting antsy. Georgia State's going to be going into that locker room feeling fantastic. If Carolina jumps on them and Rattler hits a big play early, the stadium – which, you know, there's going to be a full day of, of drinking ahead, new LED lights, and they're up off the bat, then the runaway could be on, you know? So I, I think how this game plays out could be very much determined by maybe those first 12 minutes, like the, the first few drives on each side, just because this isn't a state team that is built to come back, but it is a state team that if they have some success early could be built to hang around and frustrate you, which is not obviously what South Carolina wants. Yeah, style of play, you know, it factors in here. It's important. And Georgia State's not a team that's going to, you know, they don't want to come out. They're not built for, hey, let's go throw the ball 40 times. Kind of look at South Carolina last year, Wes. I mean, some of the games early on there, they got down. And they were not built to come back because they didn't do – Last year, it wasn't just that they wanted to run the ball well, and that's they couldn't do much of anything well last year on a consistent basis. And so when teams looked at South Carolina last year, it's probably similar. Hey, get up early, make some big plays, and hold on from there. I think it's key for the Gamecocks, involve the crowd, avoid what we were talking about earlier, Wes, the opening drive, three and out, grumbling, let all the air out of the stadium. You don't want that. It's important in games like this, and it would be a huge confidence builder for this team if they could come out and score first or get and get a stop first or or vice versa. What do the people around y'all, and this is for everybody, this is for you too, Chris. What and and I feel like we all sit near the same person, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about like stereotypical negative fan A. What what does he groan about the most? Like, what is the most? Oh, I can't believe, like, do what in this game or just in general? In, in general, like, 
No, I'm, I'm saying not the most as in it happens the most. I mean, what creates the biggest disappointment, the biggest groan, the biggest oh. like? That's easy. What is it? If they can't run the ball. Well, and I, I, I'm, I think it's first down run for no gain is like the oh, – you, you got real specific. Okay. Because when that happens, where's the play action? You know what I'm saying? Like the in, the instant that it happens. Now I think close second sacks, obviously. Um, I feel like a 12 yard run on defense, like kind of just like a gash. Like it's not just a complete bust, but a play where they're just blocking you. You know what I mean? Like they they just did their job and they blocked all all. You know, nine guys, basically, all blockers are on somebody else. <laughs> yeah. And um, you're just like, man, that was a – they just ran it down our throat. That That's almost worse than a 60-yard run. Like a 60-yard run, you're kind of like, all right, there was a bust there. Like something just happened. The constant just 11 here, 13 there, 8 here. Oh, yeah. You know, everybody starts getting a little, a little frustrated. But I, I, I'm with – I think it's the the first – the opening, especially the first play of a drive, and you run it, and it's like just just nothing. <laughs> just stuffed. All right. That's, is that worse? that's almost worse than a – that's almost worse than a negative run, I feel like, for people. Because a negative run, it's normally because a guy just shoots the back – like shoots into the hole, makes a play, and you're like, dang, that guy made a play. A – a no gain is usually just like a stalemate, I feel like. And you're just like, all of their defenders just stood our offensive lineup. So I'm, I'm going to go with our man, Charles Hare. What's up, Charles? This, I think, <laughs> is worse than the first down no gain. Because when you've got third and one, you're sitting there going, okay, it's third and one. You know, should be able to get this. Boom, nothing. Now you're punting. Maybe on the opening drive. That is a buzz kill. Agreed. Y'all are on fire. Matthew Epps is on fire. So you got me thinking, Matthew. You mentioned Wofford. Wes, one year. When when was that that South Carolina played Wofford? Like, they played him a few times, right? I don't think this was the uh, the Cody Wells game where he intercepted the pass. It might yeah, have been. They all run together. They had. They do. They're all ridiculously way too close. They had a, a nose tackle. And I, Wes, he was not any taller than us. <laughs> for those who don't know, that's not a good thing for him. That is not good. But he looked like he was Warren Sapp. I mean, the the second coming of Warren Sapp. Just smashing people. Complete. I'm. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna have to pull up that game. I know I'm not making that up. Y'all help me out. He completely destroyed South Carolina, or was it? Or was it Navy? I'm pretty sure it's Wofford. I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find it, and I'm gonna have it on the next show. Lynn says the run, run, pass offense. Yeah, that. Another no, no, run, run, incomplete pass. Yes. That's. That that'll that'll burn you. That'll burn you. No gain um, on first, second, second nine. Open field missed tackle is a low key one that yeah. that ticks people off. 
you got you got to learn to tackle. Well, the guy that he was just trying to tackle in the open field was pretty good in his own right. Um, hey, by the way, you know it's game day. I'm sitting here. I'm looking out the window in my office, or it's almost game day. Neighbor loading up the SUV with some cornhole boards. So I'm like, yeah. okay, man, two days, two days ahead, two days ahead. He must be we going ready. Do you have an RV? Is he camping? Is he going out there with our guy Michael Beckham? No. Camping? Regular old SUV, but hey, I just prepared. thought of another one. Okay. Because um, people are saying stuff that makes me think of it. So, Jamie Henson, third and nine. And, oh, that's the wrong one. Can't click. Third and nine, and they run a five-yard out. So, the flip side of that, one I hear the most, they're they're playing 15 yards off of them. That is what – now, sometimes that is true. But yes. I feel like that takes on a life of its own. Like, if a guy's playing, like, five yards off, after the game, if they lose, it's 50 yards off. He's just standing back. Why are you giving him that cushion? Not even on the state. He's not even in the stadium with him. Yeah, that's another valid. One. Sometimes though, oh, it's very valid. The Tennessee game last year, it's like Tennessee's throwing. Literally, they're just throwing it across the field. Y'all are playing fifteen yards off. They're probably going to get about ten or so. Pretty easy. Yeah, no doubt, man. Not into no that Tennessee week. Um, we didn't plan to talk about any of that stuff, but okay. it just. It just kind of happened. Um, what else? What else we learned from Brady, man? We, we got to get off here. We're almost done. But there, there's so many people on here. I don't know why y'all are still here listening to us talk about this. But we appreciate it. What else yeah. we learned from Brady? Yeah. Well, we're going through the fan experience. I think people appreciate that, you know. Um, Brady. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> Aaron <laughs> Aaron called me out earlier because I did misspeak. Uh, at first, I was talking about going for it on fourth down when it was fourth and two. And then I, I was talking about going for it from your own two-yard line. And he's like, where did the drive start if it's fourth and two from your own two? I'm like, well, it's a decent point. My brain, yeah. my brain is, is being scrambled, Wes. Yeah. not Somebody says not having a spot on a running quarterback on third and six. Um, the a running quarterback taking, getting six and a half yards. This is like the op. This is what fans on other teams felt for three years playing against Connor Shaw. <laughs> the my man gets five and a half on third and five, and then just steps out of bounds on your or, own sideline and just looks at you. Or also uh, known as the Kellen Mind, I think. Oh man. You remember that one? What was the 17 or 18 game? South Carolina's winning. Kellen Mond picked up rough st approximate stat, 14 first downs, I think, running for one more yard than they needed every time. Yeah, that was that was ugly, man. That was very ugly. Um, hey, you know what is not ugly? This is not a good segue, but it's 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 not ugly. It's a great <laughs> situation. Liberty Tax, you can overcome your tax anxiety. 803-462-5576. Give my friend Larry and his team a call. If you need bookkeeping and payroll services for LLCs, S-Corps, and C-Corps, maybe you owe money to the IRS. That would be kind of ugly. Uh, meet with a local professional. They'll represent you in settling your debt. They've got several locations around Columbia. 
551 St. Andrews Road by the Harbor Freight. There's a Lexington office by the Dunkin' Donuts. That's 1123 South Lake Drive and in Irmo by the Kroger, 7467 St. Andrews Road. Again, shout out to our friends at Liberty Tax, 803-462-5576. Chris, Gamecock Plus, it is officially live as of today. Yep. What do you think, man? Are you uh, are you excited? I am. I haven't been able to uh, go check out any of the content but I'll, yet. Um, might be a little while, to be quite honest. But I did go look at like the library of what they have going on. There's some good stuff in there, man. So uh, have a have a story on GamecockCentral.com right now that gives you a little more info if you want it. Um, if you're a Gamecock Club member, it's included. You just go register on their website. You can uh, put in your member number and all that, member number and email and get on. If you're not a Gamecock Club member, you can actually join Gamecocks Plus. 100 bucks a year. Really cool content, looks like. So pretty exciting stuff. Crispy says, has anyone ever told you that you kind of look like Travis Darno? Yes. Get that quite a bit. Let's see. What else we got? Uh, WJM4 says, Limbo seems crazy smart. Confirmed. Yep. Dude is the special teams professor. Like, he is a beast when it comes to that stuff. And he loves special teams, Chris, more than anyone I have ever been around. Yep. I feel like... Yep. Ray Rich Lesky was a special teams guru. Um, but man, Pete Limbo. Oh yeah. He's he's been a vital part of, of this uh team under Shane Beamer for sure. Loves uh special teams and history. Did I did I tell the story on on air about the guys in the offseason having to watch the the clips? I told you this. I can't remember. Yeah, you told me. I can't remember. One of the special teams guys, um, I was around, like, not in a media setting, just elsewhere. And uh, this was offseason. Like, man, Coach Limbo, he had us watching every single clip of an explosive play on special teams last season. And I'm like, you know, I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, why is why is he complaining? Like, that seems pretty seems pretty valid. Like, you want to see the the plays your team has made or the plays teams have made against you. And I, I think the guy could tell I was kind of looking at him like, okay. He's like, no, 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 not ours. Literally every single explosive special teams play in college football last season. So he had probably a grad assistant, I'm guessing, had to clip up every single big special teams play from all of college football last season. And the guys were watching it, seeing the details of what worked, what didn't, what was successful, what wasn't. Um, attention to detail is Limbo's game. Like this guy Absolutely. knows his stuff. So great, great observation there. Who was that? WJM. All right, y'all. Hey, we got one more show. Um, by the way, Chris, are you are you in for are you in for lunch tomorrow? Uh no, I'll I'll be on the golf course, Wes. As you know, I I take I take all the Garnet Trust money and go play golf. So I'm going yeah. for the third time in my life uh, tomorrow. No, yeah, I'll be here. Okay, so uh, I I realized I never asked you if you were down for oh, yeah. our yeah. on location. We had a little, yeah. Okay, so tomorrow, one o'clock, we will be 
as you all know, the last couple of years we've done market on main. We've got a little different tweak. Tomorrow, we're going to be at the market on main party express cockaboose, which um, is pretty sweet. I haven't been there yet. I've only seen the pictures. We're going to be there so that everybody can kind of see what those look like. And I think they're going to be partying at them for every single tailgate. I think they're going to be, um, I think you can like rent it out like as an event space for, um, you know, you get market on main food, whole nine yards. So we're going to be there live one o'clock. So Friday GC live, that will be our final take on the game. One o'clock. Uh, appreciate y'all joining. That's the hour mark right there. He is Chris. I am Wes. Appreciate Brady for joining us earlier. Appreciate Clint. Appreciate our friends at Liberty Tax. 